0: Amos chapter 4, starting with verse number 6, and it reads as follows And I also have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities, and want of bread in all your places, and yet ye have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. And also I have withholden the rain from you, when there were yet three months of the harvest, and I caused it to rain upon one city, and caused it not to rain upon another city. One piece was rained upon, and the piece whereupon it rained not withered. So two or three cities wandered into one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have smitten you with blasting and mildew, with your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increased. The palmer worm devoured them. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have sent among you pestilence after the manner of Egypt. Your young men have I slain with the sword, and have taken away your horses, and I have made the stink of your camps come to your nostrils. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have overthrown some of you, as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And ye were as a firebrand plucked out of the burning, yet ye have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Therefore thus I will do unto thee, O Israel, because I will do this unto thee, Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. For lo, he that formeth the mountains and createth the wind and declareth undemand what is his thought, that maketh the morning darkness that, and treadeth upon the high places of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. So let's pray before we talk about today's verses. Dear God, thank you for your word, the Bible that we have it to learn from, to study from, to educate us. guide us to give us your wisdom lord we ask that you be with us now as in this church we study your word and learn your word and make this word part of our lives we pray these things in jesus name amen so last time we were continuing our study of the book of amos if you remember in amos one of the big themes that we were studying is judgment right that's your one word summary of what amos is about right a lot about judgment. We studied the first couple chapters where it ran down all the sins and the corresponding judgment of all the nations, including Israel and Judah. Starting in chapter 3, we said there are going to be three kind of prophetic speeches from Amos, right? We studied chapter 3 previously, and we saw that each of these chapters start with the same thing. It starts with, hear this word. That's how we know it's a different speech, right? So starts with, hear this word. And chapter four also started with, hear this word. And we looked at it last time. What is the speech about? This prophetic speech that Amos had. Well, it started off again with what they were doing wrong. A message of, hey, this is how you guys are screwing up. Hear this word. Hear what God is telling you. Last time when we looked about... <coughs> something kind of weird and different right we saw a little bit of hint of uh sarcasm i guess you would say from uh god in his word when he talks about all these things that israel was doing wrong right talking about coming to bethel and transgressing right he wasn't actually telling them to do transgressions right Coming to gilgal and multiply your transgression right and do all these things wrong worshiping god in the wrong way because, as we studied last time, he wanted them to go to the temple in Jerusalem and tithe according to the way that God had set forth in the Old Testament law. But instead, what they had was, instead in verse number 5, right? They did all these things, like offering the sacrifice with leaven, proclaiming and bragging about their offerings. And did all this stuff because, here's the key phrase we looked at last time, For this liketh you, for this liketh you, right? This is their problem. The problem was they did it the way they liked and not the way God likes. The whole point of having all these books like Exodus and Deuteronomy, having the law and having everything written down for the children of Israel is so they could know how to do it God's way. But despite the fact that they had all that, they had priests telling them that, they had the law saying this, instead they chose to do it the way they liked, right? why well who knows It's probably the same reasons we have today right we know that many even christian churches they like to take it the easy way the shortcut way the way they like it right and not necessarily the way that god likes it right god has some exacting some high standards he wants you to show up to church on sundays right some people nowadays say oh i have technology i can stay at home and uh listen to it online isn't that the same this is the way i like to have my church experience no that's not right that's not what god wants that's not what the bible says show up fellowship help one another serve god oh serving god is hard i have to take time out of my life right i'm busy i have work i have school i have whatever you know i love i love god i worship him but i can't serve him well guess that's not that's not right that's maybe what you like to do you like to go and do all these fun things but guess what god likes you to spend time in service to him and of course last time we studied a multitude of examples of how the modern church tries to do many ones try to do it the easy way the way that even goes against the bible if it makes life easier for them, it's the way they like it but it's not what the bible says right We I mean, went through a whole litany of lists right like churches that say it's easier if we have like the women pastor even though the Bible forbids it because it makes everyone feel happier it's the way we like it, right? That's not the way God likes it so this is their problem Israel and Judah's problem their worship was not right their sacrifices were not done in the right way their place of worship was wrong they're doing it the way they liked but not the way God liked so what then now? what then now? verse 6 we get a rundown of once again god's judgment we'll see a lot of different stuff though verse 6 it says this i have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and want of bread in all your places what does that mean cleanness of teeth right the idea being that there is nothing in their teeth. You guys know if you guys eat something, like you eat a steak or something, stuff food gets stuck in your teeth, right? You've got to floss, you've got to brush your teeth, all that kind of stuff. One way to ensure that you have really clean teeth is to not eat anything, right? So what God says here is that you guys are going to have clean teeth because you'll have no food, right? It says in the phrase right after it that you will have want of bread in all your places. So God was giving them hunger. Hunger. That was the first judgment against it. You guys aren't following the way I want to do it. Here's hunger. And then we're going to see this phrase repeated. At the end of verse 6 over here, it says what? Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. And this is a key phrase. We'll see this repeated a few times in this chapter. So I gave this hunger. I'm going to call you back to me. Yet you guys didn't do it. So what came next? In verse number 7, it says what? I have withholden the rain from you right? It was kind of like a drought, right? But not just any drought, because God wanted to make sure that they knew that this is targeted toward them and their wrongdoing. What does it say here? It says in verse 7, I caused it to rain upon one city and caused it not to rain upon another city, right? So we have here basically another one of God's, you know, miraculous happenings, Stuff that does not happen normally. You guys know how weather goes. When there's a rainstorm, it goes across this whole region, right? It's not gonna be that, oh, that just like if it went over Bay Area, right, it would not be like, oh, Oakland has no rain, yet every other city in the Bay Area has rain, right? That's not the way the, the storm works. So it goes across in like a, a swoop, right? So here, God would ever make it clear that it's not just a drought for everybody. Because maybe if it was a drought for everyone, they would not get the message, right? Like, oh, everyone is suffering. There's a drought. There's no rain. Okay, whatever. Everyone is suffering. But it should be a wake-up call to them to see that, wow, this is so strange. The neighboring cities are all getting rain, but our cities are not getting rain, this must be a sign from God, right? How can it be that we're all in the line here? We're all together, clumped together, these three cities. Yet two cities have rain; My city does not. This is a warning from God, a judgment from God, right? He's trying to tell them with this drought, right? He's trying to tell them. But what does it say in verse 8? Once again, yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Did all this stuff. Yet Israel, Judah, did not repent of their wrong ways. Yet they did not turn back to God. Yet not returned unto him. So what next? What next? You see what happens is an escalation, right? An escalation. More judgment. Getting like more and more. First you're a little bit hungry. Then you don't have water. Then in verse number nine. It says what? I have smitten you with blasting and mildew where your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increased. The palmer worm devoured them. Right? The palmer worm is a a locust we talked about last time. Right? Previously. Not last time, but many times ago. So all your crops eaten by locusts eaten by local, that's pretty serious now now you're not just a little bit hungry now that you're not just lacking water now even your food that was growing is all gone right it's all gone and what does god say end of verse 9 yet ye have ye not returned unto me same phrase again same story with israel and judah so what is next what is next well it's got to get even more extreme doesn't it right it's not just about you have no food anymore right in verse number 10, I have sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. Right? We guys know what happened when Israel was leaving Egypt, right? They suffered many plagues. Many plagues that resulted in many people dying. Right? And here it says, not only have I sent the pestilence, it says, your young man have I slain with the sword and taken away your horses. I have made the stink of your camps come up into your nostrils, the stink of your camps. You guys know generally that when people die, they stink, right? The idea being that, okay, now I'm sending you guys all these horrible things. Death, just like Israel suffered death and plagues and war and all these things. <coughs> I'm saying that to Israel now to come back. This is my judgment, right? People are dying now. It's not just you're hungry, you're thirsty, you have no food. You are dying. And yet, what? End of verse 10. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Finally, verse 11 says, I have overthrown some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. That's pretty serious, right? You guys know from the book of Genesis. What happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? The city was destroyed by fire and brimstone from the sky, Right? This just means that people were obliterated, basically. God just allowed them to get totally messed up, killed, whatever. But he notes this, right? In the middle of verse 11, it says, And ye were as a firebrand plucked out of the burning, right? Because he's talking to people that survived. So some people died, and whatever this thing, got judgment God sent, God sent a Sodom and Gomorrah-like judgment to some people. Many people died. Maybe it was a firestorm or something. I have no idea, right? But something happened, there was some kind of fire, a lot of people died, but some people survived, right? Not all of Israel died. It said that they were like a firebrand, plucked out of the burning. There were some people plucked out of the burning. They survived, right? And we know that many people in Israel, there's a lot of population. Some people got burned up, some people didn't, right? But what about those people that were plucked out? What does God say about these people? He says what? Yet have ye not returned unto me. Even though they suffered through all this, they saw all this judgment, still they did not correct their behavior. They did not fix their wrongs. They were still doing it the wrong way. It says, therefore, I will do this unto thee, right? And we get to the last part. We'll talk about it in a second. But we'll talk about God's judgment here. God's escalating judgment that we see. Start off with, yes, you get be a little bit hungry, a little bit thirsty, then you get killed, then you get burned up, right? Worse and worse and worse things, right? You know, a lot of people complain, you know, people who are non-Christians don't understand God. They complain, oh, how can you say God's a loving God, right? He does all these horrible things, right? Even the Bible talks about all those horrible things, right? People getting killed and all that stuff. But what we see is a very, instead, a very merciful God. A God of many second and third chances. Because guess what? These people didn't just get like totally messed up right away. Right? We saw. We went through this list in Amos. That they got multiple, multiple chances. Right? And yet they still did not return to them. Right? But this is the way God expresses love. Right? God's judgment isn't just I want to judge you and be angry at you. God's judgment was really for teaching, for correction, right? I'm giving this judgment because I want to fix the way you act. Now, you guys who are parents, you guys understand this now, right? And I understand this now, right? What is punishment all about when you think about your kids, right? When I punish my kids, it's not because, oh, I want them to suffer or to feel bad or be hurt or whatever. No parent thinks like that. We punish our kids to correct the wrong behavior, That's the goal, right? Why do you take away your kid's toys? Why do you spank them? Why do you yell at them? Because they did something wrong, right? People usually do not do stuff without reason, as a parent, right? You don't just say, oh, I feel like beating my kid today, right, and people don't do that, right? And people do do that, they're the ones that wind up in jail for child abuse, right? So that's what people think, usually. This is what I think when I say, oh, my kid is doing something wrong. My goal is to correct their behavior right? Oh, you are fighting with your brother, you hit your brother, right? Or you hit your sister, right? So my goal is to teach them, don't hit your brother anymore, don't hit your sister anymore, right? And a lot of times, maybe the first thing is you just, you just yell at them and tell them to stop, right? This is the way I operate, at least the first thing, like, say, stop, don't do that, that's not right, you gotta say sorry or whatever, right? That's a pretty, like, light punishment. That's the way I do it, you know, I don't want to be, you know, maybe just, were legitimately angry about something and did not express their emotion. So you hit your brother. That's fine, right? I tell you, don't do that anymore. Say sorry, let's move on. But let's say it happens again now, right? Oh, happen again. Well, obviously whatever I did that first time did not work, right? So now you gotta up it, right? Maybe you gotta yell at them, right? And say, oh you have to go and you know you can't play with your toys right now. Go away. Right? Or whatever. And sit in the corner or wait, right? And then You know? Hopefully that works. Hopefully that teaches them. Okay. You're not going to hit anymore. Right? You're not going to do the bad thing anymore. Correct their behavior. But you know, kids being kids, sometimes they don't get the message after the first time. After the second time, they might do it again. The third time. I'm still going to hit my brother. I'm still going to hit my sister. Then you're going to think, what's next? Right? Maybe you got to be more extreme. Right? Maybe this is when you have to go like, say, hey, you hit him. Let me hit you and see if you like it. Right? And maybe that'll teach you a lesson and be like, oh, now I feel it hurts. and Maybe I won't do it anymore. Right? There's an escalation. My point of doing these punishments is not just for the sake of punishing them because, you know, for whatever reason, it's to teach them. And my goal is always to use the least amount of coercion necessary, right? That's what parents think, right? It's good for both sides, right? Number one, you don't wanna cause undue unhappiness or sadness and make your kids cry or whatever, right? You don't do that. And number two, it's also easier on you, right? You don't have to pick the extra effort. And number three, it also saves you some extra punishments in reserve, right? You don't use up all your toughest punishments at once, right? But that's the way as a parent you think, right? You try to do the least amount of punishment to try to get the desired result. And when I saw this chapter four and how God was easing up, increasing up the punishment each time, it felt exactly like the way I feel, right? Like he's trying to give him a chance, like, oh, just fix it. Ah, do a little punishment this time, then a little bit harsher. Oh, now he's really angry. Now he's getting a harsh punishment. Really harsh punishment afterwards. That's the way it works. You see, our God is a loving God. He's just like a parent teaching a child. That's the way our God is, right? The judgment comes from a place of love, believe it or not. Because he wants us to correct the behavior. That's the way he was like with Israel. I just, he just wanted them to worship him right, right? Right? I, don't, I don't want you guys to mess up your worship anymore. I don't want you guys to worship me in the way that is wrong and contrary to my law and my rules. I want you to follow my rules and I'm just trying to nudge you. Now I'm really nudging you. Now I'm nudging you a lot, right? That's the way God was trying to do it. And you know, I feel like sometimes he does the same things with us today and we don't get the message sometimes, right? I and mean, we've got to evaluate when things seem like, hey. This is not going in the right direction in my life, right? There's something afflicting me, some kind of problem. Is it a call back to him? Might it be? Well, I don't know, right? Who knows, right? We can't hear the word of God. We're not lucky enough to have Amos <coughs> telling us exactly what's on God's mind, right? But as we pray to him, as you fellowship with him, maybe you realize that he convicts in your heart that whatever affliction it is in your life whether it be to you know, in your health, your work, your family or whatever it is maybe it is a call back to him maybe there is something in your life that only you know about that you are not doing right that he's calling you back to worship him in his way and that's his method you know, he's not going to strike us dead right away right? it's not going to be I did not go to church this Sunday therefore God strikes me dead that's not the way it works, right? It's not going to be, I choose not to pray to God anymore and he's going to strike me dead. No, no, no. God gives us chances, certainly, certainly, right? Calls us back. He gives us things to pray about, right? To see if you'll pray, right? That's kind of the way he does it, right? He gives us a reason to come back to church to see if we seek him out and come to him humbly. That's the way he operates. We see it historically. We see it today. I see it in my own life, right? I see it all the time. God's uh, God's reproof for me and all the things that I do wrong. Sometimes it's a wake-up call. Maybe you guys need to think about it, too, to see if there's any wake-up calls that God has given you. Because what? Let's finish up these, this chapter here today. Because in verse 12 and verse 13, it says this. Therefore I will do unto thee, O Israel, because I will do this unto thee, uh, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Prepare to meet thy God. And then verse 13 talks about who who God is, right? God, the one that created... the the mountains and the wind and it makes the morning and the darkness and all that kind of stuff prepare to meet thy god so that is the threat of coming judgment right there prepare to meet thy god but what does this mean what does this mean when it says prepare to meet thy god so for it means different things to different people first of all right if you are the unrepentant person if you are that person that Amos is talking about, the one that doesn't worship God right, that doesn't follow God at all, this is a threat. This is like a total threat. This is a reminder that this is God, a God of miracles, a God of wonders, a God that created everything. He is coming for you. Are you prepared to meet him and stand before him in judgment? Right? We heard this saying even today, right? in our, in our popular vernacular, right? prepare to meet your maker. Right? When you hear people say that, prepare to meet your maker, you know, that's like a threat, right? Oh, this is like guys, angry. Prepare to meet your maker. He's going to go beat me up or attack me or something like that, right? Well, the idea is that these people ought to have the fear of God, right? The fear of God. Because God who does all these miracles, God who creates everything... Can he have an even more serious judgment on you? Yes, we've talked about all these judgments already. About, about having drought and hunger and dying in war and being burned up. Does God have serious judgment for people? Even more so? Yeah, we know that. We know that God has more serious judgment. The most serious one being when we say prepare to meet thy God. We know that when we die, we meet our God. And the serious judgment is... Not just a temporary punishment here on earth, but an everlasting punishment in the lake of fire. As bad as it is to have your cities overthrown as if they were Sodom and Gomorrah, with fire coming out of the sky and you you get burned. That's all temporary, right? You get burned, you die. Hell is everlasting. Everlasting torment and judgment. Are you guys ready for that? If you guys aren't repenting, turning of your sin, right? They needed forgiveness of sin. They needed repentance. They needed salvation. They were off on their own way, doing their own thing, the wrong thing. They didn't have the fear of the Lord. We know, the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why is that? Because if you understand that, if you understand how powerful God is and how his judgment is and how serious is, wouldn't you want to correct your behavior right away? Wouldn't you want to get on God's right side? Wouldn't that just be the wise thing to do? The logical thing to do, the smart thing to do, if that's your alternative. If your alternative is I fear God if your alternative is God's judgment is coming, prepare to meet your Maker. Accept whatever judgment is from coming from him. Do you want to be on his good side or his bad side? You're the good side, don't you? That's only logical. That's what the fear of God should teach us. But instead, they had the wrong lesson. You know, on the flip side, people that already know God, they already have that wisdom imparted in, in them. They're getting ready to meet their God. They want their God to be happy when you meet them, right? It's just like when your dad comes to visit you, right? When your father visits your house, do you want your dad to be happy? You clean up your house. You make your house look good, right? You're ready for the visit, right? When God's coming, you're going to get yourself in order. Same thing. We don't want to live the sinful life, the wrong life, the life of not worshiping him worshiping Him correctly. We want to be right with him. We want to be like, here I am on Sunday worshiping him. We want to be, I'm praying to you, God. We want to be, I'm reading your Bible, God. We want to be, oh, if you want to tithe, we're tithes, right, God. We're going to do all these things for you, God, because that's what you expect. That's what you want from us. We fear you. We love you. So either way you look at it, it goes to the same thing. It goes to the same thing, and that's the call back here to avoid the judgment. We have this fear of God, the fear of His judgment, and the call back to not be like Israel. Because what did Israel do? Yet have ye not returned unto me? Next time we'll look at chapter five. But right now, I'll end off with the word of prayer. Dear God, thank you for our study here of what Israel did wrong in chapter four. They didn't worship you right, and then God tried to prod them back with a little bit of judgment, but they still didn't listen. Lord, may we learn the lessons today, right? And get your calling back to you whenever we slip, so that we are on your right side, so we don't have to live in fear. When people say, meet your maker, we should be a happy thing getting ready for it, not meet your maker being scared, worried about God's judgment, worried possibly about eternal damnation if we don't have Jesus as our Savior. That would be a horrible thing. Lord, we ask that you be with us this Sunday as we continue to honor you, worship you in the right way. And praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.